Welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast in which we explore life in the time of Grant Morrison across the DC universe and beyond. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. I live in a state of quantum uncertainty, PJ, at the moment, <laughs> uh, when it comes to recording podcasts, because uh, I, uh, I had a couple of mares recently. Right. I I locked myself in a dark room for nearly three hours and recorded a podcast on my own. And oh, your then, Afterlife Inc. podcast, yes. When I got to check the audio, it sounded like I was shouting through a tin can. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we recorded a whole episode of a show called Hate last week and pressed stop at the end and then the file just disappeared. That's annoying. I know. Um that really shouldn't happen because I was checking it constantly. Everything was going fine. So I've done my research. I've reformatted the SD card. I've done a ton of like <laughs> test recordings. In principle, nothing should go wrong now, he said. Well, if it does, then I'll just have to record your bits for you and do my John <laughs> impression. <laughs> you could do, uh, you could, yeah, we'll get you, in the, uh, get you in the recording booth. You can do Foley. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a John impression. Um Hello, I'm John. I write about angels and shit. I don't know. <laughs> My God, it's uncanny. <laughs> uh, we, we we were just uh, we were just chatting, uh, kind of off air. Um, I'm sure uh, the 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 listeners are dying to know, PJ. Exactly how tired are you right this moment? Oh, uh, I am tired like I've never known tiredness before. Uh, although. Um, I, as we as we were saying, like you've done years of training for this, you have worked night shifts. Yeah, I I worked night shifts for a good twelve years, so that I, I feel like that has somewhat prepared me actually for having a child who who screams in the night and won't <laughs> let you sleep. Um, so yeah, no, it's uh, I'm I'm as good as one can be on as little sleep as new parents get. Well, given that you're 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 doing. You know, you're living like four lives at once at the moment, trying yeah. to you know fit it all in. Um, we we kind of had a had a a slight agreement that I would I would bring kind of talking points to yes. to the table, and you could comment on it. I will comment. Okay, well, with that in mind, PJ, to help your poor tortured brain, um, <laughs> I have something uh, something in my hands here, which uh, which I want Ooh. to describe to you. Now, I have sent you a photo. Ah, yes, this. Yeah. Okay. So, for a bit of context, um, I have been helping my uh, parents uh, clear out their attic, mm. and of course, in doing so, uh, I'm kind of unearthing a load of my old junk from when I was young. Yeah. 
Uh, although it's like uh, it's like um, strata of rock, you know. We're kind of we we haven't done we haven't gone too deep yet. We haven't hit like uh, my teddy bear from when I was a baby, that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, this is more kind of like the crap I was amassing in my teenage years, sort of thing. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't feel like a massive emotional connection to a lot of this stuff. Um, a lot of like fantasy books and sci-fi books and stuff I've been sending to charity and stuff. However. I did find this one oddity, which was uh, so weird that I felt compelled to hang on to it. Uh, it was a second-hand book when I received it. Uh, there's a little bit of a spine missing. Mm. It is a hardback uh, c- comic, graphic novel, I think, anthology called The Superpowers Annual, TM. From DC, DC Comics, published by Marvel. What? Yes. I didn't... Hang on. Hang on. Was the Marvel uh, logo on it yeah, in the photo okay. you sent me? No, that was for trick, PJ, because um, there's a DC uh, DC logo on the cover. The the classic kind of circle with stars in it. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then on the spine, it just says, uh, even though there's a bit of tearing, it says, for Superpowers Annual... Published by Marvel slash Grand Dreams. And on the inner front cover, hang on a second, try and open this thing. It says, uh, copyright 1984 DC Comics Incorporated, all rights reserved. Published by Marvel Comics Limited in association with Grand Dreams Limited, Jadwin House, Kentish Town Road, London. Oh my God. Yeah. And it goes on to say, uh, copyright DC Comics, all rights reserved, the titles, characters, and related indicia, indicia uh, herein are the trademarks of DC Comics Incorporated. That's okay. So I think that this was a uh, a UK exclusive, I reckon. Uh, I It is reprinting three uh, original American comics. I'm a little confused as to the exact year it came out in because there's a few conflicting dates in the book. Uh, and um, is it conceivable that, like, it's a DC... Like, Marvel got a DC license to publish DC comics in the UK market because Marvel had more of a footprint over here? Possibly, but it's not something I've ever heard of before i know that weirdly like their first collaboration in the u.s wasn't the superman amazing spider-man book it was like what was it was something like an adaptation of the wizard of oz right the first thing they ever published together in the u.s but yeah they're they're uk joint ventures I, i have no knowledge of up until the point when you get panini doing the the marvel the UK reprints of mm. X-Men, Spider-Man, all that, they got the license to do JLA Avengers and then started putting out a Batman book. So that was under Panini, who were doing the Marvel UK stuff for about two years before then Titan took the DC license off them. But that's as much as I know about Marvel and DC being in the same place in the UK. Yeah, because most of the, uh, thinking about it, most of the trade paperbacks that I owned growing up were always uh, kind of Marvel... Uh, on Titan or DC and Titan, like yeah. um, were Titan a UK company? 
Titan are a UK company, yes. Yes. Yeah, they, yeah. they've now branched out into American comics. Like, they, they publish the officially licensed Doctor Who comics, and those are put out in America. Um, mostly UK creators, um, names that listeners to this podcast will be very familiar with, like, uh, you know, Paul Cornell, Emma Vicelli, people like that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, Titan are a UK-based company, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny beast, isn't it? Like the whole, the whole kind of Marvel UK uh, thing, which was more of a eighties, want to say eighties and early nineties is when Marvel UK, which was actually Marvel having an office in the UK that would put out their own comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because and, and as far as I'm aware, I could be wrong. I don't believe DC ever did some, anything similar. No, not that I'm aware of. And of course, there are some great Marvel characters that came out of that. So you get Captain Britain and Death's Head come out of Marvel UK. Um, and then a lot of other ones that people don't remember. But <laughs> Death's Head is 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 weird. I, I don't, love Death's Head. I don't know a massive amount about Death's Head. I remember, didn't they try to like reboot Death's Head? There was like Death's Head 2000 or something like that. Well, um, so you have the original run of Death's Head where... Um, he was created by Simon Furman for the Transformers comics. Ah. But Marvel, the the story I read, because a few years ago, you know, when Panini started putting out Marvel graphic novels, they reprinted some of the UK stuff. So they did The Complete Death's Head in two volumes, and I bought both. Mm. And in that, it says that so that Death's Head didn't belong to Hasbro, oh, they right. printed, a, while his first appearance in Transformers had been put together already before it came out they rushed out a one-page comic in another marvel uk title <laughs> so that marvel would have the ownership of the character yeah yeah and then he clever. jumped around from transformers into the marvel licensed doctor who comics of the time and then into the marvel uk universe in the 80s and then in the 90s they rebooted it with death's head 2 which was another cyborg that killed Death's Head, but in doing so, Death's Head personality and memories overtook it. I think the I want to say it was called Minion. I don't know the Death Head Two stuff as well as the original Death's Head stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then there was a third one that they introduced in um, the New Amazing Fantasy anthology in the mid noughties that was then in the Planet Hulk storyline, uh, really? and then Kieran Gillen brought back a version of the original Death's Head in in. Um, was it a sword? The the X Men yeah. spin off series um, with Abigail Brand and the Beast, and then the original Death's Head has come back. They they did a whole load of Marvel UK characters coming back in a in a mini event thing in the Marvel US titles a few years ago. It was actually really good fun. God, I, you see, PJ, this is why. This is why you get you get you get paid the non-existent JLA bucks. You know that's amazing. I'm amazed you know you know all that. Well, you know I became fascinated by Death's Head through a, a friend of mine, Simon Williams, who has done a lot of artwork for Transformers, and he used mm. to draw the Spectacular Spider-Man Adventures book in the UK. Oh yeah, the one that started out as the animated show thing, but then became was just telling its own stories. He drew that for years. Oh wow. Um, but he loved Death's Head, and we we used to have coffee fairly regularly, and he would always be talking about Death's Head. So when like, Panini put out these two trades, I was like, I'm going to check Death's Head out, and I fell in love. <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, 
Well, uh, well, PJ, let's let's see with your encyclopedic knowledge whether you can you can kind of unravel this mystery. Okay. Uh, okay. So um, uh, it's a it's a cheap hardback. Mm. I, I'm go- I'm going to say it feels cheap, like um, not especially well constructed. I mean, just from the photo you sent me, it looks like one of the sort of annuals that would be put out for kids every Christmas yes. that you used to get. Like I used to get, like, I think, the, the, the Ghostbusters, real Ghostbusters ones when I was a kid for Christmas every year and things like that. It looks like that sort of book. It has the feel of something that was printed in the UK, by mm. which I mean, it reminds me of like um, the Beano and Dandy annuals. Yes. Like oh, that. yes. Yeah, I loved those. Yeah. Me, well, me too, actually. Yeah. But but that kind of like paper stock. Um and uh, so, yeah, so you've got a hard, hardback cover in quite kind of garish colours, mm. which is something I'll come back to in a moment. But on the inner cover, there's a picture of uh, Superman, uh, conceivably an early John Byrne picture. I'm not sure. Okay, It's a bit, little uncertain there. But it says copyright 1977 DC Comics Inc. But then on the very first page... Uh, so, so I should say the theme of this uh, superpowers annual is um, crossovers and team ups. Right. So, it's a collection. I realise this now. It's a collection of three original comics. The first one is a Jack Kirby written. No, sorry, a Jack Kirby plotted, Joey Cavallari scripted, and Adrian Gonzalez penciled story, where Darkseid gives four of his most powerful minions incredible abilities and sends them off into the universe to find suitable uh, villains that they can gift that power to. Okay. So it becomes a weird team-up book because Lex Luthor, the Penguin, Brainiac, and Joker gain kind of like godlike powers and uh, they are each then sent to bedevil uh, various heroes. So, for example, Superman and the Flash are having their annual race for charity. Oh, yeah. And then Lex Luthor turns up and he has the power of time distortion. Uh, the Penguin gains the ability to uh, control um, bird life. <laughs> and uh, Aquaman has to step in. Uh, what else can we get? We get Brainiac. Uh, oh, no, sorry. Aquaman and Green Lantern have to step in to okay. battle... Um, to battle the penguin uh brainiac gains incredible power and we don't see what he does with it and hmm. um joker gains incredible power and uh sucks hawkman batman and robin into a weird dimension of madness <laughs> and then the story ends oh really yeah because it's part one and we don't get we don't get the resolution of that they 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 didn't hang on sorry they didn't print just like one-shot stories. They printed multi-part parts of a multi-part story and didn't print the rest of the story in the same book. Yeah. What the hell? What I, what I find amazing is that like this isn't Superpowers Annual number one. It's just Superpowers Annual. Yeah. So like, were you meant to were were you meant to get the second the second edition to work out how it's finished? And does it does it say anywhere in it what issues it's reprinting or? No, no, there are no original, uh, aside from like the uh, creator credits, because they've just reprinted the page, there's no reference to when this was originally published. Although the thing that gets super weird, PJ, is somebody has added new text, Uh, uh, but it's it's not very helpful. 
So again, on the inner front page, there's a image of Superman and that says copyright 1977 DC Comics. But then at the start of the Jack Kirby plotted story, in text written uh, horizontally along the side of a page, it says copyright 1984 by DC Comics, all rights reserved. Okay. Okay. And then, PJ, we have the Superpowers puzzle page, mm-hmm. which is where we have uh, uh, a crossword, a maze. Uh, the usual kids' annual stuff. With Superman. Yeah. So, so Superman is guiding us through these challenges. And that's credited to Rosakis, Delbo, and Trapani. Okay. Now, it looks like the Superman cast of characters who are being drawn here looks very much like the 80s kind of John Byrne... That was the 80s, wasn't it? Like the John Byrne reboot sort of time? Yeah, like 87. Yeah. I say. Which is weird. Yeah, which then also makes the timing confusing because that would be... Oh, no, wait, 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 PJ. I apologise. 1985. There's another copyright thing hidden down the bottom for that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's just getting more confusing. Just to confuse you further. Yeah, yeah. Well, weirdly, the Supergirl who's posing in this picture with the casks, she has like big curly hair and a red hairband. Yeah, and that's that's classic Supergirl just before she dies in crisis. There we go. Okay, well, PJ, the merry, the merry kind of mystery merry-go-round continues because we now have a portrait of Aquaman atop a seahorse, kind of cheering. <laughs> and uh, they've slapped the same logo on the bottom left of Superpowers poster. Like, they're just slapping the Superpowers logo everywhere. Right, okay. We then get uh, another story, which is better, I would say, which is The Treasure of the Hawk Gog's Tomb. And this is the Brave and the Bold, and it's a team-up between Batman and Hawkman. Right. And this is by Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn, writers, mm-hmm. and Jim Apero, artists. Oh, Jim Apero is a classic Batman artist. I love his Batman. This story is a cut above. Like, this this one is uh, kind of much better plotted and illustrated, I would say. Okay. And uh, this is copyright 1982 by DC Comics. There you go. There you go. It's all over shop. Uh, and this has Batman and Hawkman battling the Fadeaway Man. The the Fadeaway Man? Yes, Anton Lamont, the Fadeaway Man. I don't know that one. He has a uh, uh, like a cloak, which I think might have been like a magic carpet or like a kind of uh, magician's tapestry or something like that. So he can basically like teleport stuff wow okay. so if he wraps something in his cloak he can make it uh, disappear i'll tell you what pj no i'll tell you exactly who it belongs to it belongs to the 18th century magician cagliostro it's oh the, yes yeah conjure cloak basically so it allows him to teleport things yeah yep now i want to say cagliostro is is sort of based on a a, a real mythical figure because it crops up a fair a fair amount in different things. Um, but I cannot, for the life of me, pull the DC version through my memory at the moment. Well, in um, uh, Spawn, wasn't like his mentor called like yeah. Cogliostro or Cagliostro yeah. or something? Yeah, like that. I'm sure there was one in Marvel as well. Um, you've got the, the uh, 
Miyazaki movie, the the Lupin Three, ah, the Castle yeah. of Cogliostro. What a movie! Yeah, brilliant film, brilliant film. Um, there was another. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's one of those names that pops up in pop culture all the time, and I'm sure it does refer back to something. But I'm going to blame Baby Brain. I cannot bring it through my memory <laughs> at the moment. It's all right, PJ. You know, I expect knowledge of superheroes. I don't necessarily uh, demand knowledge of 18th century magicians. So you're, you're, you know you're, what. I peaked in one of our early episodes and I remembered the Battle of Midway. I can't do, you know. I'm... <laughs> well, uh, the next one, PJ, is we have another Superpowers poster. Ooh. So they've slapped the Superpowers poster logo over a piece of Joe Kubert artwork. Oh, okay. Which is Hawkman and Hawkgirl battling a T-Rex. Joe Kubert did do good, Hawkman. Uh, that is copyright 1977, DC Comics Inc. Hmm. <laughs> Then we get another one, which is uh, a pinup of the penguin uh, gliding on his uh, umbrella. And that is copyright 1966 National Periodical Publications. Oh, wow. So was that before they changed the name to DC Comics? I guess so. Huh. Okay, and then the final one, PJ. And this is a weird one. Uh, This is a crossover between Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, and Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, written by Marv Wolfman, uh, Jim Starling on plot and pencils. I mean, that's a good team to start with. Uh, and this is copyright 1980 by DC okay. Comics. Uh, yeah, and this is a this is a um, not a bad uh, little story. I think this might have been my first. Now my memory hole is opening. This might have been my first introduction to Hal Jordan. Yeah. Um, basically, uh, Hal Jordan is on uh, watch duty, uh, like. Uh, Monitor duty uh, on the satellite um, gets a call from a Green Lantern uh, who's in trouble. Goes to rescue him, only to find out that it is not the Green Lantern. It is an evil entity called Engon, who has uh, killed the Green Lantern and assumed his form. And it blasts uh, Hal Jordan, kind of you know knocking him out or killing him, if you will, and steals his ring basically. And uh, then. Um, Hal Jordan is now a uh, disembodied mind, if you will, because before he got blasted, he used his ring to separate his mind from his body. Uh, Because, you know, Green Lanterns can do that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, yeah, and basically, uh, Engon is constantly uh, trading its way up into bigger and more powerful bodies. And it wants Superman, basically. Well, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you indeed? And uh, so basically, uh, Green Lantern, fake Green Lantern, summons Superman to uh, a kind of weird, the weird parallel realm that he lives in, uh, and then tries to basically kill Superman with the Green Lantern ring. Hmm. Uh, So we get a battle between Superman and Green Lantern, and uh, Superman takes off his cape, wraps it around his arm, so that the yellow in his shield can be used as a defence against uh, against the ring. That sounds really familiar. Is this a story I've read, or have I just come across that particular... That sounds I, so familiar to I me. I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? Like, it, 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 it kind of stuck in my memory as well. Like, maybe I maybe I mentioned it before because it got into my head in some way. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. I've got to, I've got to say the, the wildest thing, the wildest thing here, is that the fake Green Lantern uses uh, his ring... To make kryptonite. Really? Yeah. Just 
just makes it. Here's some yeah, kryptonite. Boom. But it's, well, it's green, PJ. I don't know if you noticed. Well, I, I guess theoretically, <laughs> if if someone wielding a Green Lantern ring knew like the exact chemical makeup of kryptonite, it's not outside the realms of possibility that they could just create <laughs> it. But it seems unlikely. I mean, it's green. It's green. I don't know what the problem is, PJ. It's green. <laughs> um, no, you're right. Okay. Anyway, uh, the real Green Lantern saves him, you know, so on and so forth. Um, Superman preps for a final showdown with Engon, blasts him with his heat vision, uh, and then gives him uh, a really big punch, PJ. And I've got to say, uh, <laughs> even though it's printed on bad paper and the colouring is completely off, um, this is a fun panel because uh, he drags him up into space, punches him, and then we get this big, big panel where the entire world is in silhouette and the sky is just like a red spinning circle and in giant yellow letters filling everything. It just says, Skablam. <laughs> and then uh, Superman drops the unconscious body of Engon down and um, him and Green Lantern return to Earth. Nice. I mean, you are a fan of a big punch. That's something I know about you. Ah, uh, uh, very good, PJ. Very clever. <laughs> um, and the, the final thing I'll say, uh, lest this turn into a completely different recap podcast, is that this this story in particular is triply weird because the colouring on certain pages just goes completely wrong. <laughs> like, uh, I can't tell if it's been... if something went wrong when it was printed... Or whether, I don't know, something went wrong at the art prep stage? Did, did they, do you think they, they tried to recolor the stories? Which I hate it when they do that in comics. Like recently they've been trying to recolor all the 60s stuff, haven't they? And it just doesn't work. I, well, that raises questions in itself, though, doesn't it? Because if this was a weird, oh, let's say mid-80s Marvel UK published DC original, let's reprint some old DC comics for mm. the UK market, why wouldn't you have received the full-colour artwork? Yeah. Because, you know, you saying, like, did they recolor it? There could be something in that, because I haven't seen the original comic, but this colouring is not good. Right. Like, I don't want to be rude, but, like, it kind of looks like if you as a kid took a felt-tip pen and kind of just, like, scribbled over... Like, I'm looking at a picture of Green Lantern here on one of the good pages, hmm. and, like, his torso, the green bit, it's just like a smudge of green, which is like right. only only roughly inside the lines of his body. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that sort of recolouring, as much as I don't like it today, it would have been even more primitive back then. So it probably was just a guy with a felt tip pen. Well, on one page, and maybe this was early foreshadowing to the emotional spectrum of rings, PJ, but on one page, uh, Green Lantern goes completely blue. <laughs> completely blue and on the final page uh uh green lantern goes completely red and superman goes pink with a green cape oh okay that sounds like a printing error then it does sound like a printing error i think this may have been like very basic four color printing uh, yeah which makes again makes me think that like if the uk kind of just periodical printing industry didn't have you know the machines may have actually just been more basic back then Maybe. compared to american ones yeah that would make sense 
But there you go. I'll have to take some photos of this and share them online because it's an absolute oddity. And I'd love to I'd love to know a bit more about it. Yeah, there must be someone somewhere who can tell us exactly which issues of what comics those are. So if nothing else, you can read the second part of that story finally. Well, indeed. I mean, the the rear cover of, of the Superpowers Annual is, I'm assuming, the original front cover of um, the Superman Green Lantern story. Yeah. Because it doesn't have any of the labelling or titles, but it's Superman in agony going, Stop it, Green Lantern, your kryptonite is killing me. And then <laughs> Green Lantern going, Precisely what I had in mind, Superman. So that looks like an original cover. So might be able to track that down at least. That would be cool. Yeah. Well, there we go. There we go, PJ. Sorry, that's that's my fun little oddity for the table. That is a fun little oddity. Yeah. I like weird and, stuff like that. And, um, uh, you know, not to, again, not to completely derail the podcast, but I just want to say that I've been, I've started rewatching, uh, Lucy and I have started rewatching Gargoyles on Disney+. Plus. Oh, my God. And I hadn't realised how much of the uh, cast of uh, Star Trek TNG were in it. Oh yeah, most of them. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, Jonathan Frakes is just like running around from like episode three. He's yeah, great. and Marina Sirtis is one of the. Uh, she's 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 a gargoyle, I think, in it. Yes, um, indeed. And yeah, lo- loads of them turn up. It's great. And I've I've got to say, like it, I I loved it as a kid, and I couldn't remember a massive amount about it. I think I remember the key plot details, but watching it again, I'm like. This is pretty good. Yeah, that was like, a good one, actually. Yeah. And we've got past the opening five episodes, which are basically like a mini movie setting mm. up the show. And then the first kind of like Monster of the Week episode is, um, and this is what, this is the reason I bring it up, uh, they fight a, uh, a, a, a TV star group of kind of superheroes called <laughs> The Pack. And I was watching it, I was just going like, oh, God bless the 90s. Like, <laughs> the pack are an incredible time capsule of character design. <laughs> like, it's, they're called, like, Fox, Wolf, Dingo, Jackal, and Hyena. Dingo. Dingo. Yeah, he's, he's Aussie, as, as you'd, as you'd Obviously, imagine. Obviously, yeah, yeah. And uh, the, the character called Wolf just looks like something from i don't know rob lee feels like uh extreme imprint or something yep. like that oh it's oh pj oh baby Glorious. bird it into my mouth it's incredible <laughs> <laughs> uh, i am excited for when my son is starting to watch cartoons like that and i can just show him all the good ones from when i was a kid and not the rubbish ones they put out today <laughs> mm. oh god yeah did you um i was uh, a couple of weeks ago i fell down a hole of watching old cartoon intros mm. because this is i'm sad and that's what my saturday evening had devolved into um and i saw an intro to an avengers cartoon that i never even knew existed is this the late 90s one yes yeah that lasted one season because <laughs> it wasn't very good and i never saw it and apparently it's it's the thing that nobody wants to claim ownership of now it's not on disney plus you can't seem to find it anywhere but i was fascinated to learn that it was made uh to capitalize on the popularity of the busick perez run really yeah yeah incredibly it's why i mean i know that's when it was coming out but they didn't 
have any of the main Avengers. You didn't have Captain America, Iron Man or Thor in it. No, uh, which was interesting because apparently they were all tied up in uh, rights for other things, which, you know, within a decade would gradually turn into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm. Um, but I did I did find it interesting that without access to the big three, they kind of lent into some of the characters which were big during the Busick Perez run, like Wonder Man and um, Vision and stuff, which I kind yeah. of I, I liked and- the sound of tigers in it and hank pym and the wasp but it's 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 just not a very good cartoon <laughs> have you ever seen have you have you seen it i've, I've seen a couple of episodes it, it's not great the only time they've ever sort of re-released it that i'm aware of other than first showing it on tv is like very early 2000s they released three of the old 60s cartoons on dvd the captain america thor and uh incredible hulk ones i think the the really old ones which basically oh. took comic panels and just moved a bit of it um and then in that set they also re-released this version of avengers on dvd and that is the only time they've ever made it available to to oh, buy or anything is it wrong that i kind of want to i kind of want to see it like, or at least some of it <laughs> i mean i think everyone should try it at least once <laughs> I like this. It's like your approach to uh, illicit drugs as well, you know. <laughs> but it was it, it got cancelled after one season, which is almost a shame because the plan was to have the X-Men guest star in season two with the cast of the 90s X-Men cartoon, oh, half wow. of which were voicing Avengers anyway. So, Oh, wow. Wow. That would have been wild. Yeah. 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 And, th- and then it's funny because, like, you know... It, in this weird quasi period where like you had some of the Marvel movies had come out, but they hadn't quite become the crazy big, you know, it hadn't just become the MCU quite yet. Mm. You had that um, Avengers cartoon Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which is really good. I loved that one. That was brilliant. Yeah. I, yeah. Fantastic. I love that show. It was fantastic. And I think sadly that kind of got killed to make way for the Jeff Loeb, fronted uh, Avengers United cartoon or whatever it was called. I can't remember what it was called, yeah, but it was basically based off the movie, wasn't it, rather yeah. than... Yeah, it was a shame. Well, it's like... it's What is it? It's uh, it's course correction, isn't it? It's, it's like getting your brand in order. Like, you know, if you've got... A, if you've got the movies killing it in cinemas and you want kids kind of to get involved with the cartoons when you want the cartoons to look like the movies don't you so yeah yeah which is kind of like to some extent i feel a little sad about that because i I know the movies are such a a gateway to the comics uh and you know the leading comic companies could probably not survive without the movies um you know it, it 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 does lead to the movies becoming the definitive versions of these characters in a way yeah it does it's like a simplification of of (laughs) <laughs> of 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 everything these characters are but it's like that that earth mightiest heroes show in like i think it was two seasons and in that two seasons it managed to do like <laughs> new avengers secret invasion kang ultron galactus two seasons ah oh, it was wild the Kree yeah. Skrull war i think it did a take on and you know it was, it was incredible yeah it was wild it was amazing it was such a it was such like a deep dive into avengers history but also kind of like cutting out a lot of the fat like doing yeah. it in quite a lean way like uh 
Yeah, God, the the Wonder Man ep- episode, everything is wonderful. It, mm. I, I still think is great. Like I, I, I think that's just a, a a really clever little story, and it's, I feel sad that it didn't get more kind of attention. Yep, yep. And the guest stars, it, you know, you had uh, Spider Man was in it, but voiced by I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy who was playing him on Ultimate Spider Man. Wolverine turned up, voiced by Steve Blum, who is a great Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I think uh, when Power Man and Iron Fist showed up, Iron Fist was Lauren Lester, who was Robin in the 90s Batman animated series and was oh, perfect wow. casting. I was like, yep, that's brilliant. It was it was a really good show. Oh, God. Yeah, that pedigree. Wow. Yep. Yep. Kind of want to rewatch it. I've got it on DVD. I've got the first season on DVD. So you know. I had a box set of, of both seasons, but I, I kind of got rid of any DVDs I owned that didn't have any extras on them. And that didn't. So. Yeah, because I think it's on Disney Plus though, so I might. I think it. I think it is. Yeah, no, I, I that at least has, has survived the uh, the switch over to streaming. Yeah, <laughs> but PJ, when are we going to get that Zauriel cartoon? Oh, uh, we should just go pitch it. <laughs> yeah, well, to be honest, at this point, you know, with DC in particular, it's a bit like, what have you got? You know, like, yeah. you know, who can we who can we dig out? <laughs> Uh, was that was that segue kind of smooth enough? Do you think? Yeah, let's let's because Zauriel comic. Yes, that's yes. what's happening. Where are we, PJ? What 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 on earth are we talking about? We are uh, in the middle, slap bang in the middle of a three part miniseries, JLA Paradise Lost, that looks at Zauriel and what he was up to in between uh, that first appearance in the two-part JLA story and then when he joins the team a few issues later after Rock of Ages um, which also puts us in uh, this issue reminded me a very interesting point in JLA history mm. where the team is the Magnificent Seven minus Wonder Woman because she's dead but including both Green Arrow, Connor Hawk and Aztec and it's like you see that team in this comic and I'm like, yes, I would like to see more of this version <laughs> of the team, actually, because it didn't last long. I know. And the weird thing is because, yeah, we'll have to talk about when this is placed because, like, it, it brings to mind the opening issue of uh, uh, Rock of Ages, as you said, when uh, they're fighting the Revenge Squad and... Uh, Except that weird little thing where the episode ends with a the issue ends with a tie into the Genesis Wave incident, yeah. and then and then we never talk about it again. And it's again, it feels like a very weird hinterland in the comic. Well, I feel like this has to be just after the Green, well, after Aztec issue ten and before Rock of Ages. So yes, that is the only place this fits because also in that. In the opening of Rock of Ages, where they're dealing with the Revenge Squad, isn't like Flash injured for an issue? Like he's not present. Yes. Because doesn't Kyle say something like, Wonder Woman's dead, Wally's injured, this isn't the JLA man? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, a, we- a weird little oddity. Hmm. Oh, and speaking of weird little oddities, I, I swear I, I won't take us off topic too far. Um, we're going to have to do uh, Underworld Unleashed on this show. Okay. I, I just, I had a little look at it and it's, again, you talk about weird eras in JLA and where this fell. And I'm like, oh, heck, like, is that Nuclon again? But also Flash and Jean? <laughs> like, the mystery, the mystery uh, deepens, PJ. 
Well, I'm I'm more than happy for us to have a look at uh, at Underworld Unleashed at some point. Oh yes, any excuse. Is there a trade I can buy, or am I going to have to do digital again? Um, I would much prefer to own a trade. Same. Yeah. Um, I had a look at it digitally. I'm going to see what I can find online. <laughs> um, like I'm already looking at uh, pre-ordering a Day of Judgment trade. So. Oh, that could be fun. Yeah. In itself. Is yeah. that the? Uh, I, I I'm sorry. I get I get confused with all the many like Spectre events that were happening around this time. That's, That's the the one where Hal Jordan becomes a Spectre at the end. There we go. And does that is that the follow? No, because <laughs> don't the events of Paradise Lost kind of get touched upon in another event? Is there like another? There's a couple of like underworldy. I think it's the same one because the yeah the, the a rampaging Spectre is sort of the key threat in Day of Judgment, but the main villain behind it is Asmodel. Yes. Yeah. Okay. There we go. There we go. So we'll have to complete the Asmodel trilogy. Yes, of course. There we go. Um, but speaking of Asmodel, um, he's back, PJ. Um, yeah, only he's a little child boy. Previously, he was uh, an amazing, like, bull-headed seraphim uh, who wore, like, just the fanciest shirt you've ever seen. <laughs> it was all eyes. Nothing but eyes. Uh, and we saw, well, Jean tried wrestling him. Uh, and then Electric Blue Superman wrestled an angel, and it was incredible. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Uh, and and then, you know, Zariel was left on Earth. Uh, the angel invasion was repelled. But it's not over, and uh, Asmodel, uh, he's secretly working with Neuron still, and they have plans, basically. And Zariel is in their crosshairs. Uh-oh, but Zariel Uh-oh. has gone to see the woman he loves, Shannon, and declared his love for her, and then had a fight with Etrigan. Yes, and 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 Etrigan, being a, a, a mischief maker of the highest order, um, was kind of convinced to, like, not kill Zariel, because, <laughs> yeah. like, the ensuing chaos will just be fun yeah. if he doesn't. Oh, and um, Asmodel has taken on a flesh suit, as you alluded to, PJ. A little child boy suit. Now he he's a little, like a little child boy. Now he's a little child boy. Only uh, he has monstrous strength. And yeah, he he punched John out of the JLA Watchtower, just through a wall onto the surface of the moon. Yes, and left him to die on the moon. Yeah, basically. Uh, and that's kind of where we where we're at right now. Yeah, so our opening scene for the issue is is in the hospital where Shannon's boyfriend Jerry works, and Shannon and Zariel have turned up. She's dripping wet, so I'm assuming it's rained, and she's got a, a load of bags with her. And Jerry's like, "Uh, what's going on, Guardian Angel? Are you joking?" And she basically fills him in that they were attacked by a demon who set fire to her apartment, and now they need to go to L.A. to find another angel who can help them. Uh, yeah, and I'm not, as you say, I I have to assume it's been raining. I'm not 100% certain why she's soaked. Um, yeah. Maybe Zariel flew her here and they had to go through like a cloud or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, but, but she's basically like, uh, we have to go on this road trip. Uh, can you can you come with me, basically? Yeah. Yeah, I can't do this on my own. And then they are in a car driving along a highway through the desert. And Jerry's basically going, so... Demon in Hell teamed up with Militant Angels, and you're in the middle. This is big. We haven't even been going out that long. And she just goes, oh, I think I'm in love with Zauriel. 
And he's just like, I'm, I'm going to turn the radio on. <laughs> and then we do get a cool shot of Zauriel flying against the sun in the sky. That is a very that is a very cool shot. I I would say, and this kind of goes back into what I was waffling on about last episode. This feels like the beginning of like every Vertigo title. Yes, yeah, it does. <laughs> Americana road trip with one supernatural element. Yeah, but it's not a Vertigo title because the next page is a splash <laughs> page. We're back on the moon where Electric Blue Superman, the best Superman, is cradling the lifeless body of the Martian Manhunter. And we just get the title and credits. The Damnation Game, Mark Miller, writer, Ariel Olivetti, artist, Danny Vozzo, colorist, Heroic Age Separations, Chris Eliopoulos, letterer, Peter Tomasi, associate editor, Dan Raspler, editor. Just to remind us that this book is called JLA Paradise Lost, not Zauriel Paradise Lost. <laughs> um, yeah, because as, uh, as much as kind of Zauriel has the star power, like, um, you know, if you're going to... If you're going to carry a standalone series at this point, you you need like those guest stars to kind of yeah. you know it's like a, like a spin-off sitcom PJ. You need, <laughs> you need everyone to guest in the opening episode. Yes, of course. Uh, but yeah, like uh, it's it's a, it's a nice picture. Like I I like uh, I like Ariel Olivetti's style. It's, it's mm. weird. Yeah, he, he draws a good electric Superman. He certainly does, and. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and, and that is a completely silent panel of you know, um, you know, Jean being at, at death's door, and then we cut to um, the interior of a watchtower as somebody teleports in, and it's it's green, it's Green Arrow, it's Connor, Yay, it's Connor. So this this is where everyone starts playing the uh, guess the timeline or guess the point in history kind of game, which we just did. Yeah, and and we nailed it, so that's fine. Yeah, thinking about it, this is what uh, February nineteen ninety eight was the, I believe the publication date of this. So, yeah, that is um, slap bang on the second issue of Rock of Ages coming out. Yeah, so this this will have to be set before the start of because there's there's no space between because yeah, there's a gap after the first part of Rock of Ages and then the second part, but that's because it's filled by that god awful crossover. And there's no real space in between them um, then for this to fit. So this has to be post-Aztec 10, pre-Rock of Ages. There you go, folks. <laughs> there's that magic window. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, Jean is uh, kind of on, you know, like a med bay table strapped to all kinds of like monitoring machines. And, uh, you know, Batman is, you know, leaning over him kind of... Um, you know, I guess doing doing medical medical stuff, um, trying trying to save his life, and Connor asks what's happened, and Aquaman says, "Let's go to the monitor room." And Connor asks if it was an attack, and Aquaman says, "It was definitely an attack. We've got it all on camera." And they just then see video of this tiny little boy punching Jean out of the watchtower. Uh, I do feel for Jean. Like, um, I feel I, I, I own a great many JLA comics where, for whatever reason, John is beaten or burned almost to death's door. Yeah, it happens a lot, doesn't it? He's, he's, like the, punch, he's the punching bag of the team, basically. Poor John. Yeah, poor John. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised that um, Asmodel or Mark Miller didn't, didn't choose to burn him in some capacity. Well, yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, there we go. Yeah, so uh, uh, basically Aquaman fills Connor in on things and just says, well, look, it's Asmodel, uh, King Angel, blah, blah, blah. 
we dealt with him shortly before you joined the team. Nasty piece of work. And it was very shortly before he joined. It was for previous issue. Actually. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, and uh, they're like, and Batman theorizes that he was probably after, you know, Zariel originally. Uh, but I guess he really had it out for Jean, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, because Connor asks if it was a revenge thing, and Batman's like, well, superficially. And then Connor says, well, shouldn't we warn Zariel? And Aquaman said, well, we can't find him. Uh, Superman and the Flash are, are searching street by street at the moment in San Francisco, but he could be anywhere. Aztec's on his way, and Green Lantern's outside repairing the damage Asmodel caused. Um, and... Uh... Yeah, we we do get this weird thing where um you know Batman is delivering like the kind of um the diagnosis if you will and basically says he says that Jean has eighty percent burns, which is interesting because I don't think the artwork or the action kind of reflects that. Like we we saw Jean getting punched really hard. I think there was fire actually. I think Asmodel did use fire to weaken him before he punched him. Oh. But yeah, certainly there's no outward sign of burns on on his body in the art am i being an idiot did i just did i just get that completely wrong maybe yeah it wouldn't be the first time <laughs> uh but you know he was kind of punched insanely hard he's got internal hemorrhaging um oxygen deprivation to the brain uh, um you know and and he and batman's like you know we've we've already lost wonder woman uh i'm not letting john go too yep and and then we turn the page and go back to the Vertigo book because this is a very Vertigo angel. Oh, so so <laughs> so so Vertigo. It's it's astonishing. Um, there was obviously a brief mention in the previous issue about um, only one other angel had renounced their immortality, and it was like fifty years ago or something like that. Fairly recently. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's this dude. And we get this 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 guy wearing like brown trousers, but still with angel bandages wrapped around his the lower half of his legs, and then just a red waistcoat to reveal his his oh just his his chest is there, all tattooed, and he's smoking, and yeah, it's 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 a vertigo angel, isn't it? Yeah, and um, yeah, it, it's basically the subtlety of. Um, we have to go meet another angel, and then we just hard cut to that angel smoking a cigarette, as PJ said, all tattooed. Just how going. you know he's cool in the nineties because he was smoking. And he just says, "Drop dead," <laughs> and we're basically chilling in Michael's house. And um, Zaria was like, "Are you? What, what do you mean? I mean, you're Michael, as in the biblical Michael. You are the proudest angel in the eagle host. You're an inspiration. Like, you can't just turn us down. And uh, Michael's like, yeah, I can. I mean, I begged for the presence to take me back. Um, you wouldn't. So, yeah, screw you, basically. He actually says, Asmodel can dance on your graves for all I care. <laughs> Shannon says, so this this guy was a guardian angel? And I was like, yeah, he, he was the best. Uh, and now he's not so much yeah and uh and then we get uh we get the the kind of the the flashback page if you will kind of describing michael's life basically yeah so he he, he resigned to save the life of a movie star he'd been assigned to protect and then we get sequences of her joining a cult and <laughs> he was trying he couldn't help her from the psychic plane so he went down to the physical world to try and help her he had to 
sacrifices immortality to guard her in person because the angels wouldn't help. Uh, and then he comes down physically and she dies in a car crash. And you get this horrific, I'd say unnecessarily grim description from Michael of those funny little dogs scattered everywhere, her head parked 60 feet from the accident. Like, is, is that? Mm, okay. And the weird thing is, and this is going to be a terrible piece of uh, history here, but this is based on a real, uh, a real event. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I terrible. I can't remember the actor's name. Um, no. But yeah, there's quite a famous name, and uh, she became associated with what some people deem to be kind of a satanic cult, and and died in a car crash. I think there was a documentary made about it a few years ago. Yeah. Ah. Oh, do you know what? I want. I should know this. Let's do a quick Google. A quick Google. Here quick we go. Quick Google. Come to me, uh, Google. Um, and I'll, I'll fill the air uh, by basically saying that um, uh, we get this, you know, as we as we hear about Michael's kind of, you know, fall, if you will, uh, we realise that, you know, Michael has been stuck here ever since and, you know, the, the person he loved and cared for wasn't able to save them. Uh, so he's bitter, basically. Um, he's he's haunted by her death. Uh, he's He's bitter and angry and he's just been stuck on Earth ever since, basically. And we uh, get a, a interesting bit of quick world building here, where we learn that um, Michael is apparently a brilliant businessman. Jane Mansfield. Oh, okay. There we go. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Thank you, PJ. I was floundering. You're welcome. Sorry, where are we in the comic now? Oh, literally only a few panels ahead. Amazing. Uh, basically, I was just saying we're getting a, a kind of... Uh, a bit of a tell-don't-show piece of world-building here where we learn that, because Zario says so, that Michael is a very good businessman, mm, basically. Yeah. Okay, and yes. And he's made a lot of money in his time on Earth, apparently. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there we go, because then Zario says, business is what you do, second best. Helping others is what comes naturally. And there's just this moment of Michael going, oh, fine. And he says, Asmodel. Why did it have to be Asmodel? As we then cut to a petrol station where a man is lying dead on the pavement, blood pouring out of a hole in his chest, which is also smoking, and there's a big hole in a wall. And uh, little Asmodel boy uh, is kind of threatening the man's... Uh, little the man's... Angel Asmi. Little, little Angel Asmi is uh, is threatening uh, uh, the woman behind the, the counter whose, whose husband has just been killed. And... Um, uh, she's basically, and he's basically going. Look, I'll ask again. Have you seen a young couple in their early twenties with a six-foot guardian angel? So you know, easy, easy to remember. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, but she's sort of panicking and stuttering, and and he does it. You know, answer me more clearly than your mate. Bold Asmodel is in no mood to translate your mutterings. And then he talks about how the form of boy is the well-known and most feared battle shape in paradise, <laughs> which is a weird and fun bit of. World building there. Yeah. That's bizarre. I yeah. like that. Uh and, and and yeah, and she's so scared, but she says, like, uh, yeah, they were here yesterday. Uh they stopped for gas. Uh they're heading to Los Angeles, you know, the city of angels. Definitely not San Francisco, PJ. <laughs> I don't care what I said in a previous episode, it's it's definitely not San Francisco. Previous episode wasn't canon, this episode is canon. <laughs> <laughs> And then Asmodel just flies away and blows up the petrol station and says, peace be with you, because he is a nasty piece of work. Uh, we then cut to uh, our boy our, our boy Flash, 
who is uh, searching all of San Francisco, the city of angels, uh, at light speed. Uh, you know, and he's just checking all the districts and uh, can't find Zariel anywhere as he catches up with Electric Blue Superman. Yeah, and Superman says, you know, did... okay, so wherever he's going, it doesn't seem to be San Francisco. All we can do now is try the rest of California. <laughs> like, all right. I mean, it could be anywhere. We're still, we're still assuming that he's he stayed on the West Coast, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well, he could have moved up to Seattle and Washington oh, State, couldn't he? Yeah. That's on the West Coast. Yeah, check out the fish market and yeah, Sulphur Mountain go. and the forest. <laughs> uh, I hear it's lovely. And um, but but uh, before they can begin their search of California, uh, Kyle uh, gives them a call on the kind of giant holographic head radio. Yeah, he, he Wizard of Oz is it, doesn't he? Uh, to basically say that, look, guys, I know you're busy, but you need to know this. Uh, it's uh, it's Jean. He's he's getting worse, and um, we see Jean kind of like thrashing on the medical table. Um, yeah, convulsing as Batman and Green Arrow try to hold him down. A little touch I like on this page, though, is that Kyle is pointing his own ring at his head, and there's a little green glow around his head to show what he's projecting down to Superman and Flash. That is a wonderful point. I somehow hadn't even noticed that. Yeah, it's just a nice little detail to show this is how he's doing this. And do you think it's also like really blinding? You know, That's like you to talking to the radio, you have to lose all vision for a the, few. The mask few minutes. has like built-in sunglasses or something. I don't know. Oh, of course it does. That's why he wears the mask, PJ. Or he's just got his eyes closed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't know. <laughs> it's like talking into a torch, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then, uh, you know, we we get. Uh, uh, Zariel and Michael flying towards the Hollywood sign on the Hollywood Hills and um, leaving Shannon and Jerry in Michael's house, Uh, which, again, we've never actually seen the exterior of the house. We've only seen this one room, which we are in. And uh, she's basically saying that it's it's massive. It's like it's like Howard Hughes' house. Yeah. And Jerry's like, Howard who? And then she sees a flaming sword. She says, oh, look, he's got a flaming sword, just like Zariel. And then... She basically starts enthusing about when Zariel pulled out the flaming sword in her in her apartment to fight Etrigan and compares him to Luke Skywalker. And she's clearly very much enjoying this memory. And Jerry says, more exciting than a fat male nurse, huh? Yeah. Poor Jerry. I really do feel for Jerry in this issue. I know. And what's worse is that she says sorry. She doesn't say he's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, awkward. Yeah. Um... But yeah, uh, and, and as they chat, uh, Zariel and Michael are chatting as, you know, Michael kind of points out that Zariel, you know, d- do you realise that you might be destroying their relationship with what you're doing? Yeah. And then this this bit, I think, is... is This is very Mark Miller. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the poor opinion of the human race of it, let's say. He says he drinks too much, spends more time with his friends than he does with her. There have even been other women. And then Michael says, in other words, they have a perfectly normal human relationship, something we know nothing about. That's not really what I would describe as a normal relationship, but, you know. No, I can kind of get what he's going for in saying that people are flawed. But, yeah, at the same time, it's not exactly painting Jerry in the best light. No, no. You know, I kind of think Shannon might be right, actually, at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> I, went, well. I went from feeling sorry for Jerry to going, oh, well, yeah, maybe maybe he's not worth the effort. Yeah. And then Zariel says, I've watched over Cleopatra, Mona Lisa and Joan of Arc. This is the first time I've ever felt like this. 
He's like, well, you, you didn't do great jobs with, with them, did you, Zeriel? <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, Michael basically tells Zariel what he probably should already know, which is that, like, look, you humiliated Asmodel. Uh, of course he's going to want revenge, and now you've brought Shannon with you? So, like, you're kind of just putting her life at risk by doing this. Yeah. And while they're talking, we're sort of seeing the the view of something flying quickly across the country towards them. Uh very quickly. With, with their dialogue all in captions and they're on the edge of the Hollywood sign and then suddenly Michael looks up and says great god and then little little baby Asmodel just flies in and punches him in the face. Yeah. Um uh, uh, uh and uh Zariel barely has a moment to react. Uh as um uh before um Asmodel punches him. He doesn't and... though, does he? He just flicks him in the face. Oh, is that what it is? Ah I, you know what, I somehow kind of missed that from the artwork. But you're right, yeah, it gives him a tiny little flick with his finger. And then over the course of three panels, which is actually very fun, we see uh Zariel go flying across the city, rebound off off the roof of a car, and crash into I believe um is it the Chinese theatre? I think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, famous landmark, basically. Yeah, and Asmodel points out Michael's right and that he wouldn't even know who Shannon was if Zariel hadn't drawn attention to her. Uh, yeah, and, um, you know, hopefully Zariel's feeling, you know, a little bad about that. And if he isn't, um, Asmodel's going to slap him in the face with a boat, basically. Yeah, big boat that still has people on it. Uh, and we get this, again, a, a, a amazing panel of, of this kind of two, three-story boat just being driven into the building. Uh, but thankfully, uh, we see Zauriel uh, flying, so he didn't get crushed, and he's carrying a couple of humans. So he's he's being a hero. He's saving people, as he, he kind of tells Asmodel, you know, stop stop endangering innocence. This is, this is between us, basically. Yeah. And Asmodel says, but I'm removing the burden of their pointless existence. Neuron and I can think of nothing more pleasant. And he's he's going to erase them all when when he becomes God, basically, as he fires like flames from his eyes and starts incinerating people. Uh yeah, and and I, I gotta say, I really like the weird effect of his fire vision. Yeah. Uh, it's not like a it's it's not a heat beam. It it looks like actual kind of gobbets of fire and smoke kind of mm. shooting out of his eyes. And um again, a really nice little detail when Zauriel kind of swoops in and like rugby tackles him from behind. And uh just I love the little kind of trails of yes. smoke and fire that Ariel Olivetti's put in. Like they're 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 lovely. Yeah. And Asmodel asks him if he's scared and Zariel says, I'm not afraid of you. And then Asmodel says, you should be. I'm going to be your god. And headbutts him. <laughs> just that uh, blood pours out of Zariel's nose. Yeah, and that actually looks really painful. It does. That one it looks does. painful. Olivetti is very good at drawing, like, the impact of a punch or a hit. Oh, yeah. You you feel the solidity of it. It's really cool. And there's a slight kind of, like, um, I can't really think of a better word, but, like, a slight kind of, like, griminess. Mm. To the way he draws people, like um, you know, all the heroes, and you know, I, I feel like I could um, see their paws, or I could like uh, kind of count their nasal hairs, that sort of thing. Like, um, so yeah, when even though we're seeing like superheroes and an angel, 
there's something kind of gritty and kind of a bit too real about it. So yeah, when Zariel gets hurt, you it does seem real in a way. Yeah, and then Asmodel just starts smacking Zariel around. He drives his knee into his face. He gets him in a chokehold. All while basically saying, humans are rubbish. Touching them is heresy. You know, you need to hang your head in shame. But I tell you what, I'll forgive you. Denounce the presence here and swear swear this thing you love will be... a. Uh, yeah, denounce the presence here and I swear this thing you love will be adored in the coming order. Basically, demanding Zariel takes the Lord's name in vain. And this is after, again, like, again, it kind of looks like he's just being slapped a bit about the face. But of course, we are talking about somebody with Superman yeah. level power here. Um, and as you say, uh, caught Zariel in a headlock. Uh, he looks in a lot of pain as he, as he kind of mutters through clenched teeth, like not in a million years. And then we just get this intense close up of Zariel screaming, basically, in pain. Yeah. As I assume, uh, Asmodel breaks his neck. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And, yeah, and basically we see, uh, yeah, Asmodel just lets him go. And uh, Zariel's kind of limp body starts falling to the streets below. As Asmodel's like, well, obviously your life means nothing to you. After all, you gave up immortality. Um but yeah, so maybe I'll just go hurt her and then, you know, and then, you know, maybe you don't value your own life, but I, you know, I get to be a proper villain about this and I'll hurt the ones you love and that's how I'll hurt you, basically. Yeah, and he just appears in Michael's house and, but Michael is there with his flaming sword and he demands that Asmodel leave Shannon and Jerry alone, but Asmodel just finds it funny and then Michael goes flying out the wall of, of his own house. Uh, yeah, and then, uh, which, which I, I have to say, PJ, I think this is the first time we've seen the house. Yes. Which is a, li- a little odd in itself. It, uh, it looks kind of like the, um, the Power Rangers headquarters. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Again, very 90s, kind of like um, uh, mountain hillside house overlooking Los Angeles sort of thing. Yeah, very... yeah. Uh, but, you know, then Asmodel makes the cardinal sin of threatening Jerry the real hero of this story, uh, as um, Zauriel appears. He's back, PJ. He's not dead. Yeah, so Asmodel's bragging. He's going, I'm a king angel. Can't they get that through their dense skulls? And Zauriel says, a king angel in a flesh suit, different thing, and just lets rip with his sonic cry and basically explodes Asmodel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we, we... We've seen, uh, I, I say like he's playing fast and loose with the cannon here, but frankly, we've not seen enough of Zariel scream to understand 100% how it works. Mm. We've seen Zariel reduce a couple of angels to ash, but I, which I guess is, is fair. But yeah, now with Asmodel in this form wearing, you know, flesh and blood and meat and bone and gristle, uh, that is now splattered all over the walls. And, and Jerry. Jerry. <laughs> and Jerry. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So Jerry looks a little traumatized, perhaps. Yeah. But Zariel says that was you know, a trick they let me keep. I didn't think it would be that effective, but I almost burned my voice out in the process. And he asks where Shannon is, and then Jerry just slaps him in the face, but hurts his hand in doing so because Zariel is, is, you know, superhuman. 
and then there's this weird, it, weird line from Zariel. Don't tell me this, Jerry. Don't say what you're about to say. Yeah, and um, yeah, Michael is basically confirming that that Zariel was too was too slow. You know, uh, Asbadel had already taken Shannon before he even arrived home. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, you know, she's 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 dead, basically. Yep. And Zariel says, well, I have to go after her. And Michael then, you know, come on, you're being ridiculous. And Zariel says, I know what I'm doing. There's only one way to reach her. And suicide isn't an option. And Jerry says, well, what does he mean? So Michael says, well... He's going to follow them to heaven, but killing himself is a ticket straight to hell. In other words, someone else has to do it. And he just lifts his flaming sword above his head and tells Zariel to close his eyes and that he'll always be remembered in their prayers. Zariel says, things in heaven are about to get rough. Yeah, and then we cut back to the Watchtower and it's Aztec. Yay! Aztec's back. Um it's such a cool costume. One of the greatest costumes in in comics. Uh, love to see it. Uh, and um, you know, ask you know, we forget that he is uh, he's a doctor. Mm. You know, um, oh man, what's his name? PJ? Kurt what's Falconer. It? Yeah, Kurt. I knew it was something with it with a K or a C. <laughs> uh, but he's a doctor in his in his in his real life. Um, and uh, he's saying, "Oh man, if only I'd been here, I could have. I might have been able to save him. Instead, in, I would in, yeah, fighting Metallo in Fort Knox, <laughs> which is not something we saw no. in, the, in the pages of Aztec, is it? No, it's no. something I wish we'd seen. Yeah, I mean, I guess they have a life outside the pages of these comics. I, I wonder if you know, because obviously Miller was a co-writer on Aztec, wasn't he? So I wonder if that was something they were going to <gasps> oh, do. Oh yes, yes, that could well be it. That would have been cool." Um, but yeah, Jean Jean has Jean has died, and uh, uh, Batman isn't taking it especially well. He kind of, um, you know, punches a, or slaps a kind of piece of medical equipment, and you know, then tries to control himself. Uh, reiterates that you know he says he's not very good at at losing, and uh, yeah, Superman tries to comfort him and says, "Well, you know." I'm not. I don't like feeling help, helpless either. But Jean was in a lot of pain. I'm sure he's in a better place now. Yeah, yeah. And then we turn the page, and and Jean has just arrived in heaven. Uh, yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he just says, uh, "Wait, where?" Uh, but unfortunately, he's arrived just as Neron and his demons are invading. So Neron's shouting, "Bold Asmodel has raised his standard. His bull angels are ready to join us. The assault on heaven begins." As a tiny little demon man says, "Hell awaits only your command, Lord Neron," and yeah, they're assaulting heaven, and that's the end of the issue to be concluded. Oh, yay! <laughs> that it's it's a hell of a thing to me that this is a mini series in which they killed the Martian Manhunter, and I hadn't heard of it until a few years ago. Yeah, well. I don't. I don't want to get into the bold realm of spoilers, PJ. But uh, who who knows what the next what awakes in the next issue? Maybe maybe it didn't take. You know. Well, yeah, yeah, true, true. I think for me, one of the most interesting things about that issue, retrospectively, though, is it means that in World War Three, when 
uh, Zauriel gets blown up in the Watchtower to die and go back to heaven, that's not the first time he's pulled that trick. No. No. <laughs> and I... I'm wondering if that's something Morrison knew they were going to do and that Miller knew they were going to do it as well. And so one of the things Miller was told to do in this series was seed that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I don't know, because with with um, Miller adding the whole stuff about, you know, suicide being a sin and all that. Yeah. Would, I don't know, would kind of sit, like, I don't know, casually standing next to an atomic bomb, would that count as suicide in the grand scheme of things? I yeah. think Zariel could argue, well, I just failed to get away in time. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I, I kind of believe that, like, even if, uh, in the law of the DC universe, even if, like, Zariel is a fallen angel, I have to imagine that, like, were he to die, he probably would just wash up on the shores of the Silver City again. Mm, yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, PJ, what 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 do you think of it as a, as an issue? I think it's a really interesting one. I think it, it's it's got a you know I enjoyed the first issue is fun. I enjoyed the first issue because you get that great fight between Zariel and Etrigan, where Etrigan is is just written and drawn so well. But I think the first issue is just fun. There's not a lot more to it than that. Whereas I think this one really does start getting into the the sort of the more complexities of the story and the character of Zauriel to a degree. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it's just a bit more interesting, even though it doesn't quite have the high fun moments of the Etrigan fight. Don't get me wrong, the, the fights with Asmodel are great, but mm -hmm. the Etrigan fight, I think, is the action high point so far of the series. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an odd one, isn't it? Because um, I feel... It's like, it, I don't know, how do, how do you describe this? It's like a lot of big stuff is happening and it's weird then that it's only taking place in the pages of a three-issue miniseries mm. that has been all but forgotten by the wider world. I feel like given how many big events DC was doing at the time and given that a not insignificant amount of them revolved around the underworld yes. and hell and angels. Yeah. It feels like, oh, I don't know. It feels like Neron leading an invasion of heaven should be like more of a cornerstone moment for like a bigger series or like a, like a, like a, like a maxi event sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. I just know that because we only have one issue left, I already know that I'm like, this isn't going to go anywhere, is it? Like this is going to get this is going to get resolved pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, you would imagine. Yeah. It's. I don't. Know, I feel like maybe this they should have included this, or maybe split the issues out in the trades differently, so that you do get this at the end of American Dreams somehow. Hmm. Yeah. It's it's a funny one, isn't it? Um. I I guess I, I I'm I'm my my it's not even an issue because it's a perfectly fine fine story in itself i it's more just the fact that like i know that because this is a mini series and because it's been mostly forgotten and because it can't imprint it can't by definition do anything that would mess up the wider continuity at the time yeah i'm aware that it almost has to be inconsequential 
because of the nat- the very nature of the project. Like, yes. Jean can't die because we know he's an ongoing character in in the JLA. Mm. Uh, and I think even at the time, it would be like... Now, it'd be a different matter if, say, Wonder Woman died in the pages of her own comic, which she did. But this is a this is like a spin-off thing. So, I, I don't know. I, I think it's almost kind of like... It, there's some big ideas and some kind of like nice ambition in it. But I, I think it's almost kind of hobbled by the fact that it has to be forgettable, almost by design. Yeah, and I would say, for, for me, the strongest part of it is the art. I think yes, Ariel Olivetti's yeah. art is... is- that you know some absolutely lovely work in there um i would say mark miller's story is functional fun it does what it needs to there's some interesting bits to it but it's not you know it's not top tier stuff mm. yeah um and i'm not knocking it there's nothing wrong no. with it as well i think this is this is it's perfectly fine but it's not quite up there with with not even with Miller's best work, you know that one issue of JLA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, 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 it is just it is just fine, isn't it? And and yeah. I I think you know to keep making the Vertigo joke, I think this almost would be better. Like if this had come about, I don't know, ten years earlier, like in 1988, there's a Vertigo title called I don't know called Paradise Lost. It's about an angel descending, falling in love with a human, and then going on a road trip with her boyfriend as they deal with weird supernatural threats. It probably would have run for like 68 issues mm-hmm. and would be regarded as an all-time classic. Yeah. <laughs> this is like a three-issue standalone thing uh, that is a spin-off from the JLA. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. It's a, it's a weird beast. It is. It is. We've got one issue left, so, you know, we'll see. Maybe... Maybe issue three will will dazzle us. Maybe so. Or it'll just be more. Yeah, that was that was good. <laughs> I think um, it, 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 you know, kind of touched upon it earlier. It it is it is amazing how often Jean gets brutalized. Yeah. In JLA, it's wild actually. Yeah, Jean is very much the. I mean, I know he's he's sort of he'll be the one that sort of throws himself into things as well, but. It doesn't come out of it well at all. He's, he's always getting set on fire or, or beaten up or yeah. Is is he? Is it? Is partly? Is it because he's the one who doesn't have his own series? So you can do stuff to him without affecting, say, another creative team. Yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, you're never going to be able to do have a major change to Superman or Batman in the pages of JLA because that has to happen in their own book. But at this point, Jean, and probably Aquaman, I don't think Aquaman had a book at this point. He would again in a couple of years. But mm. yeah, that's sort of a bit more fair game there. Yeah, I yeah, it's funny because I'm thinking of um, when Wade took over the series there's uh, the Terra Incognito storyline, yeah. the return of the White Martians, and I think Jean gets burnt almost to a crisp in that. Uh, we get, um, when Joe Kelly's doing it, I think uh, Jean gets burnt almost to a crisp in that as well. Like, yeah, the poor guy can't catch a break. Yep. <laughs> People just like burning Jean. And also, I mean, this is, this is, is, is this a nitpick? But like, Jean's anatomy, like, 
what do you think, PJ? Because I guess any angst is correct here. But do you think that when he's walking around in quote-unquote human mode with his big brow, do you think he's also simulating organs and bones and stuff? I think it depends which story you're reading because I think this story, it does. And so Asmodel setting him on fire and punching him out of the watchtower can kill him. But in other stories, a lot worse happens to him and he's fine. Um the specific example popping into my head now isn't really canon, but there was a, a JLA Predator crossover where um, one of those, I think it's a Green Lantern villain, the the big yellow guys with massive teeth. Um, I can't remember what they're oh. called now. Uh, but they basically oh. give a load of Predators the powers of the Justice League and they fight, they, they break into the Watchtower, beat up Jean, and as Predators do, cut off his head and put it on a spike. <laughs> and then Jean just later on gets up and reattaches it and he's fine uh, uh we've also seen uh uh obviously um when given a kind of uh anti-polymer chemical by prometheus jean just collapses into a, pu- a puddle of goo basically yeah uh yeah and it's funny isn't it because I, I guess it, it depends on the artistic choices of the creative team but uh i know when doug mank was drawing uh, uh, Justice League with where Joe Kelly when 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 Joe Kelly was writing it, um, the uh, yeah Jean is like shape shifting all over the shop. Like you know he's you get the impression that his body is like plasticine. He's constantly in flux. Mm. I think there's there's very much inconsistencies to the way Jean's physiology works, but I think you can get away with that with a character like Jean mm. um, because. He is an inconsistent guy, I guess. Do you feel, um, just going back to this issue for a moment, do you feel there was potentially some stuff that was cut for runtime? Like, I get that the introduction to Michael is meant to be deliberately jarring, like, you Mm. know, when he's like, as you say, a 90s vertigo angel. But, like, the whole, they make so many points about him being, like, rich and good at business and having a nice house. Before we see any of these things. That's that's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I do wonder if... I don't know, maybe it was... Miller didn't have enough story for a four-issue series, but had too much for a three-issue series, maybe? Mm. So some things did have to go. But yeah, I know what you mean. There's there's certain moments in there where you think this, this feels like this should have been fleshed out a little bit. or Yeah. I think, um, and this is, uh, this is, uh, I, I don't, I don't mean to be, I, I really don't mean to be nitpicking too hard. That's not, that's not my intent. But it, it, do you ever think sometimes where, like, when you're establishing like law or some kind of bigger mythology, particularly in a shared universe, it's like you only get to do something, you only get to do something once. Like you mm. only get kind of one, one bite of a cherry. So like. You know, the Archangel Michael is a is a character with a lot of mythology connected to them. Uh, and then, you know, when you introduce that character, it's like, oh, he's done now. Like, in the DC universe, Michael is taken, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But I am curious, and I, I know continuity doesn't really matter sometimes, uh, but I'm like, I do wonder how many other comics, because statistically... Some character must have made reference to a Archangel Michael at some point in some other DC 
DC comic, and it yeah, can't you think. Yeah, and it can't be this one, basically. <laughs> I mean, it's the same way that Doctor Who sunk Atlantis three times, isn't it? You know, it's oh. just <laughs> <laughs> did it. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. No, ex- perfect analogy. Perfect analogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just. Just the nature of working in a shared universe that has like sixty years of history, isn't it? I know. I'm just. I guess I'm just kind of amazed they went so big. Like you could have just said like, "Oh, this is," I don't know, Zagruafel, the angel. You could have just. You could have like made up a new angel, basically. I mean, it just makes me think of the John Travolta film. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, like um, maybe there's something in the air. In the nineties, like because that was around that that was mid nineties, wasn't it? That film. Yes, it must have been, mustn't it? Yeah. I'm I'm going to Google now. This is my to the this Google. Is, this is my contribution to to the show. Hang on, here we go. Stay with me, everyone. We can do this. John Travolta, Michael, nineteen ninety six. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Like. Uh, what? Two. Two. Two years. Two less than two years earlier. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. 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 Well, I don't know. What do you think, PJ? Is there is there much more to say about it? No, not really. I don't think so. I think we just uh, we just wait and read issue three and and see how this all comes together. Yeah, indeed. And then, of course, we're on the cusp of greatness, aren't we? Because we're still very excited. Very excited, yeah. We're about to make the leap into a big project, which is completely new for me. So I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to that. And and something that I I am very familiar with. I ha- I haven't read for a good I don't know ten years, um. But I did I did love it so much back in the day. I really hope it still holds up. <laughs> very exciting. Honestly, I think this is an excuse for me to get uh, get get myself to uh, to eBay basically and uh, track down my physical copy because I want Oh you should. You should. Yes. It's a nice chunky book as well. It's it's yeah. Yes. And I I might uh, I might see if I can find Underworld Unleashed while I'm there as hmm. well. If that was ever collected. Well, indeed. The, you, there's definitely a super collected digital edition, like an anniversary digital edition. Oh, okay. Which I had a little okay. flick through because you can get like the free preview of it and I was like I was already thinking about getting this and I'm like this is interesting. There's some interesting stuff going on here. And it's Mark Wade, Howard Porter, you know. I think it could be worth worth checking out. Definitely, yeah. I think going to be buying a lot more DC books in the not-too-distant future from the 90s. Yes, also, like, re- super old DC books as well. That's the thing. I say, like, I say we'd wander into, uh, you know, our nearest uh, comic book shop and uh, pick them off the shelf, but uh, they're not, you know, they're not included as standard nowadays. John, the Underworld Unleashed 25th Anniversary Edition paperback is £25 on Amazon at the moment. Oh, there we go. So, that's... yep, there is a physical book we can we can track down. Well, that's a darn sight cheaper than year one, I think, from my on Amazon at least, which is why hmm. I was thinking of going secondhand for that. But no, there, there is a trade available. So um, Fantastic. That could be yes. my, my treat to myself. Uh, with that in mind, PJ, is there... Is there anything else you'd like to shout about? Uh, yeah, something I'm actually not involved in. I was supposed to be, uh, but it still has links to our little show. Um, the tabletop role-playing game I am involved in on YouTube, Safe Space, is currently on hiatus. However, uh, a spin-off 
is has just started being released actually as we record episode one was released yesterday uh friday the what's today's date friday the 14th of april <laughs> that came out um and it is called endangered species it still features vince hunt as the warden or game master uh, and lizzie boyle who also plays in safe space as one of the players i was supposed to be a player my son turning up early stopped that so at the last minute my brother elliot red the composer of our theme <laughs> tune on jla cast has stepped in and is is playing in that game in my place uh, alongside mine and Elliot's co-presenter on the Measure of a Fan, Matt Troy, he's also one of the players, and also John and I, our mutual friend Sarah Millman. So, oh, oh, wow! Oh, it's wow. a great cast. It's a great show. Please do check it out and go give those guys some love. Oh, bloody hell! The, ga- the gang's all back together, PJ. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I'm. I'm sorry, you're not part of it, PJ, but I'm sure you will return. Oh yeah, no, Safe Space is coming back, um, but Vince wanted to do this little spin-off in between seasons, so there will be more Safe Space in, in the future with, with me and Lizzie, Gav Mitchell and Jim Bamfield. But yeah, check out Endangered Species in the meantime. Um, and I th- it's quite nice to actually be uh, watching something set in the same universe that I'm not playing in where I don't know what's going to happen. So yeah, it's good stuff. Oh, oh wow, yeah, you get to... This is like your, uh, this is like your JLA Paradise Lost, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're uncovering a a, a a a very obscure piece of law from from your beloved history. Exactly. Well, I well, I mean, uh, I think he's going to get another shout out in a moment. But I, I guess I should uh, thank uh, Gav Mitchell for drawing uh, the cover artwork, and uh, yeah, Elliot Red for doing our theme tune and stepping in on Endangered Species for me <laughs> at the last minute. <laughs> what a hero! Oh, and I, I get sorry. I this is I. I'll, I'll take my selfish moment in the spotlight to say that um, a Kickstarter I'm running uh, at the time of release will be entering its last week. Uh, so the Comic Writers Journal, if you fancy getting involved and you're hearing this, there is still time to do so. Um, we've had a really lovely few weeks so far and a very heartwarming response. And uh, yeah, it's going really well. So we're unlocking some cool extras and stretch goals and stuff. So Woohoo! Yeah, if you if you're hearing this and you want to get involved, you still can, basically. Do it. So, uh, yeah, thank you everyone for joining us. If you've, uh, uh, thank you for joining us for the Superpowers Annual Podcast, um, <laughs> which I, I will definitely share some photos of online. Uh, yeah. If you do want to check those out, you can find links to PJ and I's kind of online wittering. You can find those in the description. Uh, PJ, is there anything else you'd like to shout about? Ah, uh, no, I'm done. So with that in mind, could you please see us off in your own unique fashion? I got nothing this week. <laughs> um, uh, touch. Bye. Bye. Bye.